That's not me. That is me. All right. Well, <laughs> turn on. Uh, man, I messed that entire beginning up. Uh, put down your pens. Put down your pencils. Step away from the keyboards and uh, settle in for this week's episode of the Writer's Block. First and foremost, allow me to thank Grassroots Kava House for the kava that I'm drinking on this show. Muddy Waters Media for allowing me to do this. And my parents for giving birth to me. To all of you, I say, Bula Vinaka. <sighs> I would like to thank Joshua Smith for taking the time from his West Coast life to talk to me here on the East Coast at, on the Writer's Block. Joshua, welcome on the Writer's Block, buddy. Hey, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, it's great to have you on. So uh, you are the at-large libertarian. You are my at-large. I, I am the, the at-large libertarian. The at-large libertarian. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, liber- I'm yeah, I'm an at-large member of the Libertarian National Committee. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're the at-large Libertarian. Uh, <laughs> I, I started. I started calling you that like the day you became that. I was like, yeah, the at-large Libertarian. You know, the at-large Libertarian. <laughs> the at-large one. Um, first time I've ever said it on the air, though. Um, and you are you're in California, and you are currently running for the chair of the California Libertarian Party. I am, I am. I announced my uh, run for chair, I believe, last week. Uh, and so that'll be interesting. You know, I'm a 30-year resident of California, but I'm not, I haven't lived here for like the last six years. I've been up in Portland, Oregon. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that's received. And, and hopefully, you know, we get that win and we can make the changes that I want to make. Right. So. No, absolutely. Um, so I was actually born in California. Um, I, I, I'm an LA boy, though. I was born in Pasadena. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, which explains my football allegiances. Um, <laughs> ew, ew. No, it doesn't matter. I, look, I'm a Bay Area guy, and I get I get guff all the time from the Raiders and and Niners fans because I'm a Cowboys fan. So. Right. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so we I ended up leaving a long time ago uh, when I was a kid. My parents left because of the strict uh, liberal policies that were being enforced back a long time ago. Because nobody knows how old I am, but it was a long time ago. And uh, since then, California's only really gotten a lot, a lot worse. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and we got, you know, we just, they just elected Gavin Newsom here, who's like, uh, just ridiculous. I mean, the guy wants to ban pit bulls for crying out loud. That's how, how much he wants to have a say in people's lives, you know? Right. You, you know, it's bad when uh, Governor Jerry Brown is sitting there saying, this guy spends too much money. 
Yeah, and and I've heard I've heard Jerry, you know, Governor Moonbeam, as I like to call him. I've heard him referred to as pretty fiscally conservative for a Democrat, uh, and that's why we have about a fifty billion dollar uh, budget surplus here in California. That'll be gone in four months with Gavin. Easily, there's no doubt about it. Easily, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, especially with the uh, with the new healthcare for all healthcare oh, for yeah. all stuff that's going on. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Look, uh, I, I really dislike Gavin Newsom and he's not going to do anything good whatsoever while he's in office here. There's just no possibility of it whatsoever. Uh, the guy's already trying to tax water um, yeah. here, you know, and, and he's been in office for like a week. It just blows my mind, uh, you know, with a 50. So he went and found out that they have like a 300,000 people in, in California that don't have access to clean water. Um, which is a it's a problem, right? That, yeah, yeah, it sucks. Say, yeah, that sucks. It's probably something. It's probably something that they could fix with like three or four million bucks, maybe a little more. Uh, there's a fifty fourth billion dollar budget surplus, and he already wants to look for taxes. That's some. That's the problem with California is every time there's a problem, they automatically think about a new tax. Right. Every single time. I, I know that they were looking at like the texting tax uh, either late last year or early this year, and th- that got shot down because. I mean, everybody would just switch to using Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp and the yeah. other other ways to get around it. Um, so, like, I know that they were looking at that. Uh, I read that they were looking into taxing porn. So that's actually, from what I understand, that's a national tax, a federal tax, is what I I think that I read that. Um, yeah, well, talk about anti-freedom, man. Yeah, <laughs> like how are you gonna like how are you planning on taxing porn? Are you taxing the people making it or the people watching it? And if you're taxing the people watching it, do you like then you're just admitting you're looking at their search histories? Yeah, we well here's the thing we all know, we all know um, we we all know that the government creates black markets on things by regulating them. Right. So I mean, if nothing else, I'm interested to see the black market porn, <laughs> <laughs> which most of us are seeing anyway. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, you're just going to have to find your, your live action, your plays, like go to the theater for porn um, <laughs> instead of watching it on your computer at home. Calm, calm down, Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> calm down. Yeah, I, I was talking to a buddy of mine about that. He was like, California's thinking about taxing porn. And I was like, man, I would hate to be the guy that had to like, okay, well, Matt watched... 49 <laughs> videos this month. They're, they're counted like your kilowatts per hour from, uh, for your for your energy. It's just amazing. Man, yeah, his, uh, his search history really hasn't changed much this month. He just really likes this one <laughs> section of thing. He's a big fan of stepmom. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on here. Might want to look into that family life. It's really <clears throat> weird. He just types in brunette point of view, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh um, but, uh, but so recently, uh, you have been, man, you have been littering my Facebook feed. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I see a lot of Joshua Smith all over my Facebook feed. Me? <laughs> no. So actually there's a, there's a sect of the party called the audacious cocks. I'm sure you're familiar. With I am very uh, familiar with them. Yeah. They don't, they don't like me very much. I, Ooh, I think I just broke my chair. <laughs> all right. Uh, they don't like me very much, which is fine. Uh, I don't know, no love lost there, but they, uh, they call me spammy. That's my nickname to them because, uh, I, I post a lot and I share a lot and you know, whatever, that's fine. You gotta, you gotta get out there and and make changes. You you absolutely gotta do what you gotta do. Um, yeah, when I was, uh, so this past week, we all know about the wonderful MAGA hat wearing child, the poor kid. Um, we all, we all know, we all know about that. Um, which if anybody, if anybody who watches me or Spike or the Muddy Waters of Freedom regularly, uh, you may have seen a meme that we put out that said, um, if you've been stared at by a kid wearing a MAGA hat, you may be entitled to financial compensation. <laughs> that, we, I saw it, that, that we idiotically put our phone number on. And <laughs> people are calling it. Like, we've gotten like 200 phone calls. And these are people who think that it's a serious thing who actually want to see if they can get financial compensation and other people who um, other people who think it's a real thing who leave us very hateful messages. Um, I believe that Spike and I, who were both very pale, uh, were called inwards today. Um, and I was like, oh, OK, well, great. Nice. Um, nice. 
but yeah, we actually got one of those guys on tape talking to him, and it was one of the greatest conversations that we've had. That was oh, actually the video. That. that was the video I sent you last night. Oh, um, was that the one? Okay, yeah. I'm gonna check that out. I I didn't get a chance to watch. It. I'm gonna watch it as soon as we get off from here. I'm gonna watch that because I did watch like the beginning of it, but I didn't know what it was right yeah. away, and I, I was busy. So right, right. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll be watching because it's short. It's only like 12 minutes. Or yeah, something, it's like right? yeah, it's like 10 minutes or something like that. But um, all right. So, I mean, that's the most joy that I've gotten out of this entire, like, red hat kid, MAGA hat kid, and the uh, fake Vietnam vet. But you, I mean, and your posts, like, your posts, I'm just like, this is entertaining as all hell. Uh, because you just seem to, you are standing up for what you believe in, and I respect the hell out of that when it comes to anybody in political, uh, in a political party, you know, running for office, anything like that. Because you're like, no, the, the, kid, the kid got railroaded. Yeah. Oh yeah. No doubt. Well, and here's the thing. I have, I have a, a set rule now because I've, I've done something uh, similar to this in the past where I jumped the gun on things and I made a statement about something and then I had egg on my face and I felt stupid. So I, now I have a, a two day rule where when a national outrage happens, I wait at least two days before I release any information or statement from myself. And even then, if it's a, like a national tragedy where there's victims I'll, I'll still say, uh, you know, I have something uh, along the lines of, you know, I have uh, sympathies for the, the, the families and the people going through this tragedy. But I don't I, I want to make sure that I know every single thing about an, an issue before I put out a statement, because I don't I'm not a big fan of wearing egg on my face. You know, nobody is. Nobody wants to be wrong. You know, and I don't I don't I'm wrong a lot. I don't need to be wrong more. You know, and so, um, yeah, I waited. I waited several days and then Sunday I spent all day pretty much at the house, hanging out with my roommate, watching footage from this thing. You know, I sat there and watched like a two hour uh, piece of footage unedited of this situation. And I said, wait a minute, these kids weren't doing anything. They weren't chaining build the wall. No, they were standing there waiting for a bus. They, they, you know, the, the only thing that they're guilty of, as far as what I could see is that they're wearing hats that people don't like. And I don't, I don't like hats. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, like, so the, the only people that I could say, like people who didn't like the hats, I could see them being, you know, they're, they're going to get upset about it. And uh, Polynesian people because they were doing a Hakka war dance. They did do a Hakka war dance. And, and, I, and I'll admit that thing. I saw, and I'll admit when, the, when, when Nathan Phillips, the, the nice native gentleman that thought he was going to quell this situation by beating a drum in a kid's face, uh, you know, when he first walked up, I did see three kids make an arm movement that almost looked like a tomahawk chop, right? Which is a very uh, famous chant that people do at Redskins and Atlanta Braves games. Yeah, Indians, uh, Redskins. And I did see that, but but they never did the actual tomahawk chop chant. Uh, they were like trying to mimic what he was doing and dancing and singing. And they're fifteen, sixteen year old kids, man. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like we would have all done the same thing at fifteen and sixteen years old. You know what I mean. That, so that, I, I just couldn't find anything to vilify him for. You know? That was the uh, that was the one thing that I saw. I was like, they're just acting like kids. Like there wasn't anything in the and the kid that's at the center of it, Nick Sandman. Um, one, it's awful. He got I, like I should not know that kid's name. Um, None of us should. Right. But, there's no reason for us to know that, or there's no reason for us to even know what school that kid goes to. Right. But but he's getting death threats on Twitter. You know like, what I mean? His lawyer got a bomb threat today. I think. Yeah. I, I've been collecting uh, Twitter screenshots of people saying that there should be school shootings at their school. It's just ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. Absolutely. Like it, it's completely hypocritical when of people saying these kids are awful Trump Hitler kids or whatever. And when it came to the kids here in Florida, the Parkland shooters, Parkland shooting, not the shooters, but the shooting uh, right. victims, victims um and they're like no you gotta leave those kids alone you can't go after the kids but with these kids they're like oh no it's fine let's go after them let's attack right and and look and here's here's the thing i i understand the bleeding heart aspect of that i understand that that there they were in a school that got shut up some of their friends died you know i understand that like they're grieving and we need to not pick on these kids but then when when they turn it into a political uh you know force movement to take our our rights from us then we have the right to say, Hey man, you know what? This isn't cool. And we have that right. You know what I mean? And, and, and with this kid, he wasn't right. I mean, you know, you could, you could say that he was there for a, a, a pro-life, um, Walk, you know, March protest. Rally. Yeah. Yeah. March or whatever. 
but the guy was peacefully protesting for you know, pro-life issues. You know, personally, I, I'm not a fan of abortion, but I don't think the state should be involved, and and I, they probably do. So, you know, if you want to call them out on anything, and you're you know you're pro-choice, you should be talking about well, the kids being in a pro-life uh, rally uh, as a field trip. But they go to a Catholic school. The Catholic Church is like behind the pro-life movement 100. They're the biggest uh, uh, factor of the pro-life movement. So it's not. It's not like that crazy for them to be there, you know what I mean? And and really, the, the craziest thing about all this issue for me is that nobody, almost nobody, uh, you know, talks about the Black Hebrew Israelites that were the ones that really started all this, right? Which, which that's the really that is really the funny part to me because if you watch just the thirty second clip that they released initially, one I saw that and I was like, the kid didn't. The kid was standing there, and this guy walks up to him and starts banging a drum in his face, and he just stood there. Right. Which I don't blame him for just standing there. I I probably would have done the same thing. Um, he was, it almost looked like he was frozen with like, what the hell? Yeah, you like, know what, what I mean? is happening right. right now? All right, I'm just gonna stand here and smile and right. be like, cool. That's what I would do. You know what I mean? Like, all right, man, cool. Get drumming. All right. And then this hour and forty minute video comes out with everything that's going on, and everybody's like, well, no, we can't. We're not paying attention to this. That part doesn't matter. That part didn't right. lead to this part. And then the, then the video came out of the girl, uh, the two girls that were walking around the mall somewhere. I don't know where it is. Um, I used to live in DC. I really should know. They're actually, it. they're actually, they're actually like right, almost they're right down the pathway from the Lincoln Memorial okay. in that video. I, I slowed it down and watched it for sure. Yeah, so, and like it's a bunch of high school kids that were yelled on, MAGA. Is that what they were yelling? I, th- I thought they, that they they, were, they yelled at one t- one time. They said MAGA as loud as they could, and that was it. I, okay, I thought that they were like trying to like hit on the girls poorly. No, they said they yelled MAGA. Oh, so okay. here's the thing. So yeah, poorly hitting on women. I mean, <laughs> right? I know, right? High school kids. Yeah, no, but no. Here's the thing. <clears throat> you don't see what they said to those kids when they walked by them. I, I guarantee they said something about their hats. You know what I mean? There was the women's march that day. I think. Too. Yeah, I think there so. was the the pro the pro life march. There was the Native Indigenous Peoples March. BIH was there. I mean, it was a day of protest in D.C. You know what I mean? You have to expect that there's going to be some tensions and some and some yelling and and chanting and and protests. I mean, it's a protest. I was I was at the heart of Occupy, uh, uh, you know, Occupy the Occupy movement here in Oakland. When it happened, man, that stuff out there is is nothing compared to what we had going on here. You know right. what I mean at the time, and and it gets crazy and it does. And people, you know, tensions are high, and people are, you know, they're all lobbying for what state force they want to use against people, and <laughs> you know, uh, but no, they, they turned on the camera after they walked by those kids, and then happened to turn the camera around, and then real quick so you see them like you can't even make out any of their faces. Right, you can't tell if if it's any of the kids that are in any of the other videos. You just knows, know it's kids right? wearing MAGA like red hats, which are assumably yeah. MAGA hats. Sure, and, but they do yell MAGA, and then and then uh, she turns around and says, "I'm tired for the day" or something. Right, but the, who knows what she said? You know, and then so they go to her Twitter because she posts that on her Twitter. They go a couple years back on her Twitter, and she's got all kinds of racist remarks on her Twitter, like legitimate race, like saying the N word on Twitter, man. And it's like, whoa, what's going on here? Like, why, why are we, why are we looking for a way to vilify these kids? And and so then when that other video comes out, right, and everyone's like, oh crap, uh, we got to stop calling for school shootings and and suing. You know what I mean? They're like, okay, well let's dig into these kids' pasts now. And so then they go and find like a seven year old video of a blackout game during one of their basketball games, right? Has no one ever been to a sporting event ever? Ever. Like, I saw that. (laughs) I saw that. I was like, this is like, I just saw like a picture of it and I said, this is such a cherry picked photo. Like, they found this and they just pulled it because it was like, you saw three students that had black, black painting all over their face. Uh, and they were yelling with like, with like white, uh, like venom. Painting. Yeah. Like venom like, painting. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they were yelling at a player from the opposing team who happened to be black. And I was like, this is such a cherry picked photo that they're like, yes, we're going to use this to even vilify these kids even more. Right. And it's like, what, why? When I was in school, we did that with blue. Cause that was our school color. 
Like their school color, I think is I think it's black. I don't know. I think they're blue and black, but but that, that blackout games and whiteout games are normal for for um, uh, schools with all different school colors. Like the blackout game is a, a normal thing. Right. It's called a blackout game for a, re- a reason. Everyone goes, "Hey, let's all do blackout," and then somebody or somebody says, "Let's do, all do whiteout," and those are normal even for schools that don't have those colors in their colors. Right. And and and, and like college schools have done that, and so like. A couple years back, someone said, hey, man, maybe blackout games aren't cool anymore. You know what I mean? I get that. But this picture is seven years old. Seven years old. None of those kids that were in D.C. were even at the school when that picture was taken. Right. Yeah, there's no way that they would have been old enough to even be enrolled in that school. Yeah. So now we're looking for fake things to to justify guilt by association so we can continue to vilify them, continue to feel like we were warranted in hating these kids because of a red hat. Because of a red hat. That red hat is becoming a freaking martyr because people can't – they can't just be like, oh, okay, he's got a hat I don't like. He's sports president I don't like. But I'm not going to try and go out of my way to, like, hurt people's reputations over it. But the left loves that. That's what they do. It, I mean, it, it is their pl- – it's their game. It's their game plan. It's, okay, well, we can't really beat them on, on ideas. And I'm also – I'm not defending the right in any way on this. But it's like they're like, we can't beat, the, we can't beat them on ideas. We're just going to go after their – after their past and just attack, attack, attack. Yeah. I, uh, I, hey man, I'm, I'm, I've been a victim of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? In my own party. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, and, and I, and I, I felt that like forceful venom for a year, you know, and I'm still feeling it even today. You know, someone just called me a white nationalist the other day. I'm half Israeli. Shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, I've never in my life been a racist person. I've never advocated for any kind of ethno nationalism whatsoever. Uh, I think it's all bullshit, you know? And, and, and so like, maybe I have a soft spot in my heart because I've been the butt of that situation, but God, could you imagine half of the country coming after you when you're 16 years old because you were rowdy in DC during a school field trip? I mean, the- so I remember me at 16, which the internet was not nearly what it is today. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. Because <laughs> uh, I mean, I did stupid things when, like I said, really dumb stuff to piss people off, which is basically what I do now. It's just now I do it here as opposed to in school. And <laughs> we, uh, like, if any of that stuff were to get out back then, like, no college would have accepted me. No job would have taken me. I mean, no job takes me now basically because of this, but whatever. Well, that's a different story. Um, but yeah, we, um, like if any of that stuff were to come out, like I found old high school notebooks of mine recently and I was a hardcore neocon back then. So I found, oh, wow. yeah. So I found these old notebooks of mine and I'm like, thank God I didn't put this stuff online anywhere. Like, <laughs> I have the option to throw this away and forget any of this ever existed. It's nice. And it's good. And and these kids don't have that luxury. And so I think that's a, I think that's a big problem. You know, the AJ information is really important. I think we need to always take into account all the information before we make any kind of effort to demonize or vilify somebody. And, you know, and I didn't want to be that guy. And And I was happy to stand up for some children who have differing political beliefs than my own that were, not doing something that we should be, uh, you know, calling for school shootings at their school for. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, the, the the entire way that everybody seemed to have just lost their ever loving mind over this was insane to me. I was like, how did this become a thing? And that's just because it was more exciting than talking about the government shutdown, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, people are just tired of talking about the government shutdown. So, let's get mad at some. 15 year old, 16 year old kids. Like, there's any government, if there's any federal employees watching this right now, please walk out. <laughs> you, you can find a better job outside of the federal government. You can I promise definitely you right find now. A better Just walk job out. Show, show them that you're the boss. Walk out. So uh, we are on day what? 33? 34? 34. Day 34. I think we just hit, we just hit a month and a day or two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Spike and I had a bet on uh, how long it was going to be in a, I said 31 days. He said 32. I just undercut him by a day because I wanted to win. Yeah. And uh, both of us lost. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think 32 was on Tuesday. So today I think would it be 34 days. And there's like no end yeah. in sight. And it is, it's getting worse. Like, yeah. I mean, it's not getting worse in the fact that we, we're, we're getting 
more government, but I mean, it doesn't look like there's going to be an end to this government shutdown anytime right. soon. You've got this. No, probably not. And it, who, look, I feel bad for people not being able to pay their rents. I do. I do. Uh, if I, if my job got shut down, I, look, I had a bartending job, right? Uh, or sorry, a management position that I was managing a, a wine garden. And I showed up to work one day and there was chains on the doors. And I went and found a new job. <laughs> you know, I did. I went and found a new job. The, the next, like three days later, I had a new job. So important. I just realized that every time, yeah, for some reason, my phone... For some reason, totally hear me. Yeah, and I showed up to work one day, and there was chains on the doors. My phone, for some reason, is like. And I went and found a new job. Deciding that it just wants to play our show, and I'm like, "Don't nice. do that." Um. Anyway, <laughs> sorry about that. Every time somebody would no, mess we're talking, up, about, we're talking about the federal government, and, yeah, yeah. and I said I, I showed up to a job once where I was managing a, a restaurant and wine garden, and. There's chains on the doors. The owner had been doing some weird shady things and they came by and shut down because he hadn't been paying rent and I had to go find a new job. Right. You know, and I've yeah. been, you know, I've been in that situation before, especially, you know, working in restaurants, uh, that happens often because they're not going to let you know that when you're about to get, when the restaurant's about to close down, because otherwise you'll start stealing the, you know, restaurant employees will start taking stuff. Like, don't do it. But yeah, that's, what's going to happen. Like, I already know that. I've never done that. You know, so. um, yeah, that's because I never found out that I was about to lose my job. <laughs> I just showed up and there was chains on the door. Right, just day. show up and it's like the doors are locked. It's like, hey, I was scheduled today. Oh, we're closed forever. Um, oh, well, great. Now I'm out of a job and I need to go get drunk. Um, counting on that. Uh, I was counting on that tip money today. Man. I got to be honest with you. you know? <laughs> I really needed that tip money because when I was in doing restaurants a lot, you know, I needed that tip money to pay for you know the alcohol and cocaine. And <laughs> I've never done either of those things. So. Oh, good for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, me neither. Uh, it's been many years for both. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, but but yeah. So like, anytime any other employer that's like, okay, you're in debt, even let's say two million dollars as opposed to twenty two trillion. Like that's not an employer anybody's going to want to go to work for in any other facet unless it's the federal government. And people are like, right. well, like, why are we supposed to feel sorry for these people when if we lose our jobs, nobody's really out there fighting for us and saying, oh, we need to get Matt a job back. Like, let's pass legislation right. to make sure that Matt gets his job. Yeah, well, and it's, the thing is, is like, like I said, I feel bad. Like, I, you know, I don't I don't like to see anybody lose their job and not be able to pay their bills. And you know, that's, that's an issue. It is. Um, but you can find a better job outside of the federal government. I know because I, I've worked for the federal government and I've been a contractor for the federal government. And I can tell you that, uh, the contractor job was better and even jobs outside of that contractor job are much better. And, you know, they keep calling them, they keep telling these people that are laid off. They're non-essential government employees. Anyways, what kind of person wants to work at a job where they tell you you're non-essential? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's true. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a valid point. Yeah, my my thought yeah. always my thought always was if they're non-essential, why is that even a job? But I didn't even think about it from their point of view. Of you're being told that you aren't needed, like yeah. you, you aren't even that important. You're, you're expendable. You're expendable to the federal government, just like all of us are expendable to the federal government. But but you know you're expendable to the federal government to a point where they they can literally operate and don't need you, don't right. need your job, and and your and your job is funded through theft. First of all, you know, what kind, what kind of job? I would never go work for a job where they're like, hey, we steal all the money we pay you um, and you're really not that needed. So like <laughs> I would be I'd be like, all right, I'm, that's cool, man. I'm going to go find another job. Anyway, right. so. I have a feeling that this is a job that I, I don't actually want. Um, yeah, like I've never I never applied for the mafia before. But <laughs> I imagine that's what it would feel like, you know, and I just don't want to I don't want to be a part of it. So year, years ago when I was living in D.C., I, uh, hang on, statute of limitations. Yeah, I'm good. Um, years ago when I was living in D.C., uh, I was a card dealer, like a uh, poker dealer. And there were, right. at the time, there's no legal casinos in D.C. So I was dealing poker at these underground poker games. And the way that we got paid was from money that was taken from the pot. And that was how we got paid. Plus the people would tip us like probably the best job I've ever had. Cause one, you can't get fired. 
Once you were in that job, they couldn't fire you because uh, then you could just tell the police it was going on, Um, which would have been messed up. But everybody kind of understood that. So and all of my money was tax free and in cash. That was the closest I've ever been to having a job where we were kind of just taking money from people who were like, well, okay, here. But, but they, I, were, they were still voluntarily giving They were voluntarily money. showing up. They could have stopped showing up anytime that they wanted. We yeah, they didn't have to them. go there and give you money. Exactly. But um, great job, by the way. Like, copped me a huge <laughs> drug habit. But, uh, <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> huge drug habit. But uh, other than that, great job. <laughs> um, actually, it, it went. that job ended because uh, we got raided by the police one night when I was on a date. <laughs> Nice. That Good thing you were on the date. Best first date I ever went on. <laughs> that relationship ended terribly, but that was the best first date I've ever been on. Um, nice. But yeah, so like these people are just sitting there, they're bitching, and you know why can't the Democrat, why can't Trump just agree to no wall? And then you have the other side of it where the people are like, why don't, why aren't the uh, Democrats just giving him what he wants? And there's not going to be, they aren't going to come to an agreement on this. This isn't going to happen. Which that's why I think Trump is now actually going to do the state of emergency. I think he's actually filed the paperwork for it. I, be- I believe it, and I could see him doing that. I mean, he's look. I'm not a fan of the border wall. I think it's a I huge think- waste of taxpayer money. Yep. First of all, you know, if you want to fund a wall around your own building, do it, man. Like that's good. You know, I'm a pro- I'm a private property guy. Absolutely. You know, I, I think all property should be private. So, um, yeah, man, I I don't think they're going to find a resolve, and I think that Trump's going to end up you know calling a state of emergency for you know because their people are coming here for a better life and uh and it's going to be a huge huge meltdown in the united states when that happens i yeah. know that oh yeah i just saw like so moments moments before uh we were going live i saw that somebody had shared an article i wish i'd had time to read it but i think that he was planning to do a state of emergency and asking for seven billion for the border wall i saw the seven billion um it said something about allocated so i don't know it, i i I think I read it. I think I read that after the porn tax because that's what it was. They were going to use the porn tax to fund the wall. That's what I read. I read that they were going to use a national porn ta- tax to fund the wall. They would get that so quick. They would get that so fast. <laughs> so what they did is they shut down the government, and then Pornhub announced that the people in D.C. suddenly started watching a lot more porn throughout the day, and that's when Trump went great. We can get this all wrapped up real quick. These guys are watching all the porn. We're going to tax them on it. We'll get our $7 billion in a week. Yeah. It's wild, man. The whole thing is just... It's just a... Our government is such a giant circus right now. It is such a circus and, right now. I, and the the tribalism of people that follow their parties is is astounding. Astounding. Like, you're watching this shit show circus on national television and saying, that's my party. That's my side. And you're okay with it. Like it just blows my mind. I just can't, I don't know. I don't even know how to like acknowledge these people without like laughing. Right. You know what I mean? And everybody, like, you know, people on the left are like, we don't need a wall. We need to, I, I don't actually know what their answer is for like, they're, they're, I, I don't. Uh, and the people are right, like, no, we need a wall. And I'm like, okay, seriously, this is simple. You legalize drugs or decriminalize them. <laughs> Legalize yeah, decriminalize, drugs, decriminalize sure. or legalize. Uh, that will cut down on how much the cartels are making. That makes their area where they're living not so terrible to live because the cartels aren't taking over. They stop wanting to leave and come up here for a better life because now they aren't in fear for their life every day. And on the benefit, terrorists aren't getting funded and you don't have to really worry about them. Like, Yeah. The two much cheaper things to do uh, to help the immigration problem are going to be decriminalizing drugs and ending the freaking welfare state. You know what I mean? Right. Those are two important things. They're important things. And, and I can go back and forth all day with, well, which one should we do first? What should, no, just do them all. Just do, do them all. all. Do them all. The, look, Portugal, Portugal decrim, decrim drugs. And they have had like a 50% decrease in, in drug related deaths. It's insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. You know, they started why, why treating it like a health issue as opposed to a criminal issue. Yeah, they're at, they're at, you know they they will arrest you for drugs and bring you to court, and the court says, "Would you like would you like treatment?" They say yes. They go to treatment. They say no. They go home. Like that's that's how they treat it now. And and they you know they've they've saved all this money because of of you know ending the drug war because we spend billions and billions and billions of dollars fighting drugs and drugs are winning. Drugs, <laughs> you know, that was a losing battle from the beginning. Anybody it, who drugs has, are winning. Anybody who has tried drugs 
they know that the drug war was going to be lost. <laughs> it's and it's true, you know, the the drug war is the, probably one of the single besides our foreign policy, the drug war is probably the biggest failure in the United States of all time. Uh, yeah, I mean, the war on poverty, the war on poverty definitely didn't work. I mean, it just created more poor people. The war on drugs just creates more drug addicts. Like, war on terrorism only created more terrorism. Like, we, anytime we declare a war on something, it actually helps. Yeah, I mean, it, it increases it increases the thing we're trying to to end. And I think we we all can take a lot of life lessons. I mean, from young to to old, we've all watched these these wars fail, and and we know that it just creates more problems for for people and. Um, hopefully some, someday everyone wakes up to that. <laughs> I mean, we've been, the war on terror has been going on for 18 years now. Oh, I mean, 2001, ish yeah, 2001. Technically uh, it's been going on since 2001 ish, 2002, 2002. <laughs> but we've been in the middle East. I mean, my whole life, you know what I mean? Yeah. We've been I mean, 90, since 1991, 90, 1991. Well, we, we went into, I think we went into Baghdad um, for the first Gulf War in 1989. Was it at that early? I think it was 89. I'm pretty sure 89 or 90. Yeah, I was thinking 1991. So, but I mean, right, it, prior to that, we prior to that we'd been over there meddling in other people's governments and civil wars and and trying to topple dictators and put new governments for democracy in there and uh, training Middle Eastern operatives that ended up becoming ISIS, ended up becoming Al Qaeda. It's just it's insane. We've been meddling in the Middle East. My entire life. Yeah. We put uh, Saddam Hussein in power. We, uh, and then, and then took him out. And then took him out. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. insane. 15 years we later, it's it. like you weren't holding up to your end of the bargain. So, guess what? Think, uh, like, there's wasted 15 years worth of, of, of foreign policy and, and, uh, you know, uh, needless spending and it's endless wars. It's endless wars. It's endless the wars. Only there's a very small amount of people on the national stage that have ever talked about this, but anybody who has never watched Ron Paul speeches needs to go watch Ron Paul speeches about our foreign policy and our blowback because that man opened eyes everywhere he went. Everywhere. He, he changed the minds of countless neocons and countless uh, social liberals, like just and middle, middle of the road centrists. I mean, just, just all so kinds many. of people like when he got up there, when he got up there and debated Giuliani and, and started telling the people that uh, terrorism was our fault and talking about blow blowback. I mean, that was the speech that really opened my eyes to our foreign policy. You know, And I had served in war. I mean, I had, I came back from, from the Persian Gulf in 2005, uh, got out of the military sometime around there. And then, and then in I think it was 2000. I had all, I had already not liked war. I was like, this isn't a good idea for us. We're wasting money. We're losing innocent human lives. And then I heard Ron Paul speaking about, it. I was like, Oh my God, I'm a libertarian. That's what's going on here. <laughs> you know, I had no idea. Cause I was, in, I was a, you know, I, prior to that, I had been a, a card carrying GOP member, right. you know? And so, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the guy's just amazing. And, and we need more people who are talking about foreign policy like that, like Scott Horton, you know what I mean? Yeah. When, um, I remember when I found out that I was a libertarian, I think uh, I was, at the time I was living in D.C., Virginia, Northern Virginia, uh, with, and working with my parents. And we were selling real estate, and one day I didn't have a lot to do, so I took a political quiz knowing that I was going to come out to be a Republican. And I answered all the questions, and it turned out, it was like, you're a libertarian. And I didn't know what it was. You're like, oh, I, was I ain't like, no dang liberal. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I remember sitting there and... Like my dad's desk was like behind me, and I was like, "Hey, dad, this thing says I'm a libertarian." He goes, "That makes sense." And I said, "Why?" He goes, <laughs> "Basically, you're a Republican who likes pot." And I went, "Oh, okay, yeah. I'll take that. I'll accept that." And then I, I hear that all the time. You're just a Republican who likes pot. I'm like, I don't even smoke weed, man. Yeah. So that's funny. Yeah. That you say At the that. time, I didn't smoke weed, but I was like, eh, "You know my past. You know I did." Yeah. Um, <laughs> of course, <laughs> right? So. Uh, that's when I started looking into it and reading more about it. And I was like, these guys, these guys are right. These guys are definitely right. Why is my dad all up on this John McCain kick? You got Bob Barr, who's equally as bad, but I mean, I'm still voting for that guy. Uh, is that, you came in around the Bob Barr time, huh? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. yeah. Same. Yeah. I mean, 
It was McCain or Obama. I was like, I'm not voting for either one of those two. It's a, it's a very dark time in the party's history. <laughs> in uh, it was funny. I actually had this conversation with somebody today. The The Libertarian Party has been on an upward trajectory since its founding. You know, with the, our first presidential nominee was John Hospers, who if you haven't ever listened to a John Hospers speech or read anything by John Hospers, please do. The guy's amazing. Uh, he was the first openly gay uh, candidate for president. Um, he... Uh, got an electoral vote, you know, and, and the party's been going up ever since then. And then around 2000, we had Harry Brown, uh, I think 98 and 2000, who was fantastic. Well, and then Ron Paul ran for president as a libertarian in 1988. He, and he had it, he had a little bump, but Harry Brown really, he took, they took us up to at some point, um, like pushing 40,000 members and several million dollars of funding for the, for the national party. Um, and then by 2006 with the Portland massacre, where uh, we had the, the national convention in off year in Portland, uh, only 300 delegates showed up and uh, a big voting block of that was a caucus that had formed to rip apart the platforms. And they took, they took the platforms down from 61 platforms to 15 platforms at one convention. Um, and then the Bob Barr, Wayne Allen root years came around and the party actually dropped from 2000 to then um, with all that kind of stuff going on. Half of its national members down to about, I think, I think it went from about 33,000, uh, national members down to about 14 or 13,000 and our budget was cut half. Um, and so ever since then they've been trying to rebuild, but I feel like, you know, kind of, we really need to get away from that um, kind of Republican image. And I think the, the only way to do that is to run unapologetic libertarians, right. you know, and people like Harry Brown, who was just a completely unapologetic libertarian and people loved his message. He, you know, he didn't do great as a POTUS nominee, a uh, couple percent, one and a half percent, but he brought people to the movement. He waked people up all over the country. He wrote books. He did a lot of really cool things. Um, so I think when we find a good balance of those two, you know, the unapologetic libertarian that also has, um, you know, the the name recognition and the funding, somebody like <clears throat> Patrick Byrne, uh, <laughs> if you're watching, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, Patrick Byrne is, you know, the owner and CEO of overstock.com. He's very well known. He's a um, Mises guy. He's goes all over the country speaking. He's a billionaire. Uh, and, and he's an unapologetic libertarian. That would be awesome. We need somebody who's got the mix of both. And I think that, you know, somebody who inspires and, and so, um, but yeah, the Bob Barr years, that's a dark, I got into that. Cause you said Bob, Bob Barr and I was like, yeah. <laughs> Even though I didn't really have a lot to do with the party back then. Yeah, I, I was that. like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was still registered Republican at the time, but I was like, no, screw that, screw that guy that looks like a turtle. Um, but so, I mean, right now it, it's looking, unfortunately, that Bill Weld is going to be the 2020 nominee and like, I want to vote for somebody in 2020 and it's, I'm not voting for him and I'm not voting for Biden and I'm not voting for Trump. So like, I really hope that the party does do the rock, man. You're going to vote for the rock. I'd vote for the rock. I, I don't <laughs> so really... here's the thing. Here's the thing about Bill Weld. And I, I haven't been quiet about the fact that I'm not a fan of Bill Weld. Um, and, and I'm not going to do that now. And I, and I have no problem talking about those things, but I'm also, you know, I know that our presidential nomination is chosen by the delegates at right. the national convention. That's how we do our primaries. Right. And so, um, I, while I don't, I don't agree that Bill Weld should be our presidential nominee. I think that if you want to change that, you should go join your state party and uh, make sure that you make plans for Austin in 2020 and become a delegate and come out and vote for who you want. Cause I know that by the time we get up there, we'll have uh, more, not more, you know, more presidential hopefuls uh, right now. Weld isn't even announced, you know, he's not even an announced candidate. So uh, anything could change between now and, and uh, uh, July of 2020. So. True. Yeah, I was just uh, I was referencing the article that I saw that you shared uh, uh, yesterday, I think, about uh, Bill Weld going to Connecticut to challenge Trump. And they said oh, they, they didn't know if he was going to yeah, run we, as a Republican or a Libertarian. Well, I want to be very open and honest about that article. I post that article because it was an opinion piece. It didn't have any actual facts uh, from Bill Weld or his team. Um, that was a uh, pure speculative article that I thought was kind of strange to see from the Boston Globe, uh, which you know, if, if you're familiar with Bill Weld, he was the uh, governor of Massachusetts. And so, um, I wanted to share it and, and, and be like, what? Like, you know, but I didn't, 
I, I admittedly kind of some people took it as like he said that he might he didn't know he's going to run for. Uh, there is no information about that. And that's pure speculation. Uh, and and to be honest, I, I'm pretty positive that if he's going to run, he's going to run as a libertarian. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm when I read the article, I was like, OK, this guy like I read it and I was like, this guy doesn't actually know if he's running as a Republican or as a libertarian. And I'm pretty certain that Bill Weld at least knows he could get the libertarian nomination and he wouldn't get the Republican nomination. No, no, he wouldn't. Um, and and someone on there posted on that thread said the best thing to do is uh, run as a Republican when you lose the primary nominee or uh, you know endorse the Libertarian candidate. That'd be cool. But but you know he did. He stood on the stage in 2016. Told told the party he wasn't going to back down. He was going to stay true to the party and not betray them and stay a Libertarian for life. He bought his lifetime membership and um, he has done a lot of Libertarian events. Went around the country and held some really good fundraisers and done some really good stuff for the party. And from what I understand, he's become more Libertarian. I've only had maybe two conversations with the guy, so I don't know. Um, but I wasn't happy with his run in 2016 with Kerry. I just no. wasn't happy with it. It wasn't inspiring to me. Um, I didn't feel the the excitement like I did working on the the Ron Paul campaigns, you know. And and uh, and I want to see that back. I want to see somebody who inspires libertarians because there are millions. Probably there's probably at least a million to two million more libertarians or more in the United States that um, don't associate with the party because they're not happy about candidates. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I want to. See- like so, Gary Johnson in 2012. Like that was when I really started looking back at the Libertarian Party, and I was like, because he actually started, he inspired me a little bit back in 2012. I want to be right. very clear about this. In 2012, um, he he actually kind of inspired me a little bit, and like I was like, yeah, I can get behind this. I can, I feel what this guy is actually saying. 2016, Gary's a little bit different. Like I still like Gary. I think he's a really nice guy. Um, but I don't think that his heart was in the race in 2006. It was a completely different campaign. Completely. I mean, 100%. So, and Gary inspired me in 2012 too. I didn't, I didn't, uh, work for Gary. I, I, I wanted Ron Paul, but, um, that, that's just where I was at at the time, you know? Right. No. And I, I understand that at the time I wasn't working for anybody. I was just kind of looking into the different people that were running. Um, I didn't look into it. Like I knew enough about Obama by then. I didn't have to really do a deep search we all did right (laughs) didn't have to do a deep search there but uh for you know i started looking at the republicans and ron paul was definitely in my list of people but by the time tennessee came around he was already out so i was like okay right i don't even remember who i voted for in that primary because i was still registered uh republican at the time and then when the election rolled around i voted for gary um and i made that decision as soon as ron paul was out right and if it had come down to Ron Paul or Gary Johnson, I yeah, I would have done Ron Paul just for the extra vote, probably. I don't know. I don't. I don't know anybody who actually uh, who calls themselves a libertarian that is actually a libertarian that would have voted, uh, wouldn't have voted for Ron Paul. Right. Just in my in my opinion, right? You know what I mean? And outside of the, especially outside of the party, because people in the party are scorned that he left the party and worked with the GOP, and I get it, you know. But I I respect our RLC guys. I think the Republican Libertarian Caucus guys are doing good things. I like Amash and, and, and Massey and, and these guys, you know, and uh, I even like some of the things that Rand's done, but I, his voting record is just subpar to me. Suboptimal. I, yeah, <laughs> so, I get it. Um, yeah. I, I've actually uh, been approached from the RLC about uh, taking a position with them uh, on a national level. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm pretty certain I'm just going to take that job just because I get to work with these guys who actually care about Liberty and I respect them for the way that they, uh, yeah, go everybody's got a different method, a different tactic, different method that they think's right. I believe, I believe with my heart of hearts that the Libertarian Party is the best way if you're going to work on a political front for liberty. We're the one party that is uncompromising uh, uh, on liberty, and we want, we want it, and we're going to keep fighting for it, and hey, we're going to grow. I know we're gro- we're growing now, and um, give it a couple years, and and uh, you know, let's keep let's keep traveling the country and see how many more people we can pull in, and I, I think we become a much more successful party by 2020, and then later. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like as you're saying, um, as you're saying with the I, like, I know multiple people here in Florida that got uh, that are, have elected positions uh, that are libertarians in the locals. Uh, good friends of mine, um, good friends of mine that have been elected down here, and Florida's doing a lot of really good things as far as that goes. Like getting libertarians elected, and if that can continue throughout the rest of the country, and people start seeing what the libertarian mindset, like how they govern and how that actually helps them, 
it's a bottom up organization. I, you know, we've, right. we've said that forever, which is why I started the joke. We're a bottom up, bottoms up organization, which is how we always get screwed. Um, bottoms up. You're yeah. absolutely right. Um, but as, as people start seeing that, of course they're going to start, you know, okay, you're great on our city council. Let's put you in the state, you know, in the state house and the state legislature. Okay. Well, you're great yep. there. Let's put you in. So I understand how all of that's going to, that, can work. And I hope that the libertarian party does great in 2020 personally. Yeah. Well, and I, I've talked, I've talked quite a bit about that. I think the, uh, especially the libertarian party of Florida running, they ran a a program called operation first step where they just ran people for every low level office they can find. And half of them were uncontested races, you know, and, and I've, I've said this probably 500 times over the last year. There's two things that bring people out, uh, to the, to the ballot box. That's hope and change. And, and if you can show people at a local level that we can enrich their lives through policy that is libertarian, they will go to the ballot box and vote for you every time. That's how it works. Uh, Larry Sharp says that's how it works. You know, these, these great uh, libertarians, they will tell you that's how it works. This is what we need to focus on. We need to get people into all the low levels of government as, as much as possible and show our constituency that we can enrich their lives by rolling back government programs. Absolutely. Uh, so here in Florida, I don't, I don't know how closely you follow Florida politics. Um, I don't blame you if you don't. Uh, but Ron DeSantis, who I had a lot of questions about uh, leading up to the election, uh, he's been actually doing some really amazing things. Like he's planning on uh, – uh, right now for medical marijuana, you can't smoke it. You can eat it. or I, I don't even think you can vape it. I'm not 100% sure. But he's getting ready to make it so you can uh, smoke it. And I'm like – Good for you. He's cutting out un- useless. Uh, he's cutting out useless bureaucratic government uh, systems that we don't need anymore. He's just slashing, and I'm like, "Is this the guy I've been waiting for?" Like, I, I did not expect that from this Trump. How is he on your uh, gun legislation, though? Has he been fighting for gun legislation? He he hasn't been fighting for gun legislation. He's been kind of he's been staying away from it. But I I think he's pretty pro second amendment i need to look more into that uh, on him like, you should look more into his uh his gun his gun legislation because I, I i think i i think i heard that he is trying to uh roll back some some gun uh um freedoms so that's that'd be a bad that'd be a real bad thing for florida the, because you guys have like shooting ranges you can go shoot every machine gun at yeah so. <laughs> we do it's pretty great yeah. it's pretty great about once a week, I get a call from somebody who's like, hey, I'm going down the shooting range with all of my weapons. Do you want to go? And I'm like, man, yes. I really wish I wasn't busy today. But yeah, yeah. Like, let's go anyway. Um, but yeah, so, but yeah, he's, he's done some really amazing things here. Um, on the fl- so on the flip side of uh, libertarian-esque people in government, uh, New York. What are your thoughts on Cuomo's, what they call that? The Reproductive Health Act? yeah. Um, you know, look, I'm a fan of getting government out of everything, including, uh, including the right to choose. You know, I don't think, uh, I think that I do follow the libertarian platform when I think when it, when it says it's a very hard decision that should be left up to, uh, the woman. Um, but I, I am not a fan of funding. I know that the new bill does increase funding for, uh, abortions. I'm not a fan of that. Uh, I personally am pro-life, you know, I, I don't. I'm not a fan of abortions. I don't think that it's something that should be celebrated by lighting up the twin towers or the, the uh, world, the world trade center and their bridges pink to celebrate, um, you know, late term abortions. Uh, but I did, I did read further into it. Um, and it sounds like if it's like what New Jersey is doing, New Jersey has the same kind of thing, uh, but they don't, uh, th- there's been like, 22 cases of people who've had to get it. It's been absolutely for life-saving measures for the, for the mother, which I'm totally fine with. Um, And I saw a post today of a lady who was talking about how in New York, she was forced to carry a stillborn for four months um, in because she couldn't get a a late term or three months because she couldn't get a late term abortion. That sucks. I I think that, I think that um, people shouldn't be forced to do things uh, as but I also am not a fan of, of uh, abortion, and I definitely don't like late-term abortions if it's not being used to save a mother. And so my biggest, my biggest issue with the bill, like, 
I'm not a fan of late-term abortion. Uh, Florida's just recently, they're trying to pass a bill where once you hear a heartbeat, you can't get an abortion anymore. And I'm not sure if that's the right answer, but somewhere in between these two could possibly be the right answer. But the issue that I really had uh, with, the issue that I really had with uh, the New York bill is if you're a pro-life doctor, you, you, you do, you're, no, you're not. Like if they say, right. hey, I need to get an abortion, you have to, you have to do it. That was where I was like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, I think when you start when you start legislating uh, against people's morals, uh, especially like religious morals. I mean, you're taking away people's religious freedoms. You're taking away, and I'm not a, I'm not a religious guy. You know, my pro life stance doesn't come from a religious aspect. Uh, it came from I went to nursing school. I've seen the effects. I'm not. I'm just not a fan. You know, right. Um, but I think when you start legislating those things and and creating. Uh, a world where people are not allowed to practice their own free expression of religion and morality and whatever. Uh, that's when we really start getting into the weeds of, okay, now what kind of, what kind of government are we? Are we, a, you know, are we going to be a slave driving government that tells people they have to do things they don't agree with that they don't uh, morally accept uh, that they don't religiously accept. That's a big, that's a big problem. And I think, I think New York got it wrong. I think, um, like I said, I think pulling the government out of those situations is going to help them more than legislating anything ever will. Uh, you know, and, and if you want to create, you know, takes a little bit of that money and create an educational program uh, for harm reduction, uh, you know, for, uh, with with young mothers, uh, you know, increase the adoption market. Uh, there's all kinds of answers that aren't legislating um, people's morality. And I think that's the, I think those are the answers that are going to make a difference because uh, right now. The, those that legislation is not going to make a bit of difference for people uh, as far as I'm concerned, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, a lot of it is going to be the people, you know, just like with the MAGA hat kid, a lot of people are going to be overreacting at first and they didn't actually read the bill. They were reading what other people were saying about the bill and then they read it and go, okay, well this isn't as bad as I thought. Like I, I I'm still pro life. So of course I hate this entire bill. Um, right. Or you're going to get the other, you know, the other side of it where people are just, angry for the sake of being angry and it's just yeah. that's what they want a to be a lot of angry people out there right they just want to be outraged about something today because uh, that's what we do uh in this new social media country that we live in um well uh that is actually just about all the time that we have for today uh do you have nice. do you have a uh, stuff to pitch for me Oh, man, if you're in California and you're a California libertarian, I'd love to see you on April 5th through the 7th in Concord, California, uh, where I will uh, be up for election for chair of the California State Libertarian Party. That is the most important thing to me currently. Uh, and there's also a uh, concerted effort to try and get me to run for national chair again in 2020. I, I think that's cool. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what kind of support you guys can get for drafting me for that. <laughs> but, but I'm not going to I'm not going to deal with all the, the drama. You guys got to go around and defend me. <laughs> hire a legal so. team hire a legal team for that one um yeah. Yeah, I, I should i should have just I'd run, run for a, a volunteer national position with a a lawyer team a lot a law team yeah a, P, yeah. a pr team in a, in a law team <laughs> yeah absolutely uh no that's that's pretty much it man you know i'm just uh doing my own thing and uh trying to help the party and i you know i've been calling people for fundraising and so and if you want to fundraise or if you're if you're interested because we do do um numbered fundraising now where where you can donate to certain aspects of the party that you want to see be more successful uh like the you know the the um the data uh program that we've been running the civ crm and and uh you know there's several states that are going to need ballot access help and and there's going to be candidates all over the country running again and um, so I've just been working on that stuff, and, and hopefully uh, we can be really successful going into the uh, the local elections in 2019. Excellent. Beautiful. Uh, for everybody else, we have all new episodes next week. We've got a new episode of The Muddied Waters of Freedom on Tuesday. Spike has a new episode of My Fellow Americans on Wednesday, and I've got a brand new episode of The Writer's Block next Thursday with Andrew Heaton. Um and, uh, yeah, remember, you can find us on Facebook.com slash Muddied Waters of Freedom. You can find us on Instagram at Muddied Waters of Freedom. You can find us on Twitter at Muddied underscore Waters or on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Muddied Waters of Freedom, where you can find this and every other episode at Muddied Waters of Freedom.com. Josh, thank you so much. Hang out for a minute for the closing, and uh, we will uh, talk to you real soon. 
Thanks so much, man. I appreciate you, man. I am. I am. I am swinging from a seven-story window. Throwing parties in a 10 by 7 cell. It's just turning the legs I'll go. The whole damn world, I don't need anybody's help Yeah, I am waving while I drown Don't bother swimming out to save me I will only drag you down I'll try to use your body as a life raft Cause if there's room enough for one There must be room enough for two I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset Sipping on savory water Till my liver turns blue Yeah.